you know, can we make a film that is about solutions? Because there were marches against Monsanto and everyone was pointing the finger and there was a lot of blame. And we realized that that was not inviting people to the conversation. That was not actually making it accessible or attractive or even sexy to be part of a movement to regenerate our world because everything was focused on how screwed up it was. And so we said, you know, can we do a movie like this? And I think it came at the right time, which was that there had been enough environmental films before ours that really set the stage for the problem. Welcome to the Drew Perlman Show. Think of this podcast as the antidote to the fear, the noise, and the talking heads in the news. The show features an entertaining blend of ancient wisdom, empowering ideas, and cutting edge, healthy living science to optimize your health and your life. All right, so let's dive in and get started. Today's guest on the show is Rob Herring. Rob is an environmental filmmaker and musical activist. He directed, produced, and wrote The Need to Grow, winner of multiple Best Documentary Awards and seen in 175 countries around the world. Rob is also a producer on the follow-up to the world-famous Zeitgeist Trilogy. And as a musician, he writes songs for health and eco-activism and headlined the Rock for Nature concert in Berlin for 25,000 people. He is also a certified holistic health coach and co-founder of Integrative Pediatrics. Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Drew. Happy to be here. Oh, it, it is an honor. Um, you know, when I was when I was researching you, Rob, I, I found out that you you graduated from NYU as an actor. And I'd love to just hear about your journey from being a New York actor to an environmental filmmaker and musical activist. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> so I grew up on stage doing a lot of theater, musical theater, and always was a performer. I, I did a lot of magic as a kid, was a singer, started playing the guitar, did a lot of choir. And uh, over time, as I was dealing with my own health issues, actually, while I was in New York, while I was going to school there was really when I had some of my largest epiphanies just as I was turning 18 years old and I was learning about some alternatives to potentially reduce some of the symptoms that I was experiencing. And what I discovered was that there was really a whole world of alternative modalities and philosophies that were being kept from me. And I had seen several conventional medical doctors and not only were they being kept from me or ignored, but they were actually being denied in the sense that many medical doctors would tell me things that sounded counterintuitive, um, that sounded like they contradicted the way the human body would work. And I was being prescribed medication after medication. And so as I learned a little bit more about the alternatives and allowed myself and my own body to return to balance and to heal, it became a passion of mine of how do I help other people who may have been experiencing similar issues to prevent them from going down the same, you know, the same frustration, the same roadblocks, um, the same never ending loops of medication, medication, doctor, doctor, and seeing the same symptoms 
um, only being treated from one way and not actually addressing the root. And so I opened my mind to a lot of possibilities over the way that food, nutrition, herbal medicine, and countless other what are called quote unquote alternative modalities. And I also was learning about the unfortunate consequences of our conventional food system and how much processed foods were actually causing harm to our body's detoxification pathways and lacking in really the essential nutrients, vitamins, minerals, but also micronutrients and and phytochemicals that are so critical to how we evolved on this planet and what we were really designed to consume. And as I learned a bit more about that, and I was just scratching my head, dumbfounded, as happens to many people when they start to, you know, go down this rabbit hole, as we say, I was asking myself, how is it possible that so much of this information is is not accessible to people and why? And really, that leads to money, power, control. And this conversation of human health is very well integrated into environmental health. And so the same problems that are causing destruction in our food system environmentally through agriculture and poisoning our our resources and our waterways and our air and our soil. These are the same things that have toxic impact on the human body. And so we've, I, I really started to see human health and environmental health as, as the same conversation. And really what happened for me was as I started to kind of shout a lot of this from the rooftops, I realized that there was a dissonance happening, particularly with people that knew me or people that were close to me, that they did not want to learn from me because, A, I did not have credentials like a, a medical doctor. And they, you know, so knew that it was a bit overwhelming and either just doom and gloom or, or, or felt depressing. I knew I had to create ways for these messages to be able to be shared so that it would maybe break down some of the barriers of entry so that people might have a little bit more of an open mind to hear some of these concepts. But also I wanted to prevent other people who may be in a position like me so that they didn't have to have those hard conversations with their loved ones, so that they didn't have to go to their cousin, their uncle, their mother, their brother and say, hey, you know, have you heard about this? Um, I think there may be something negative impact that that comes from consuming this food or using this personal care product, et cetera. And I, I asked myself, you know, could I use music? Could I use comedy? Could I use film to help those messages be more accessible? And so a lot of my skill sets that I was learning as an actor behind and in front of the camera were really preparing me for a way to use my voice in in kind of marrying those two passions and ask myself, you know, I think the world needs a little bit more these types of messages presented in a new way. And that kind of led me to music and film and documentary. Oh, that's, that's amazing. That's so cool. And, um, and I guess this is what's led you to the, the, the movie that, uh, that I just watched a few weeks ago. I was blown away. I mean, maybe just tell us about how this need to the, the film need to the need to grow, how it came about. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate you checking it out. So I had spent a few years as an activist and for me personally, I was learning about this issue of genetic modification or what many people now know as GMO genetically modified organisms. 
and the company Monsanto at the time, among a handful of others, Monsanto has recently been purchased by Bayer, they were really priming the genetic engineered food to really be used in combination with glyphosate or their Roundup product, which we now know is carcinogenic. And as I was learning a lot about the science um, that had been suppressed, uh, both within the FDA and third-party analysis on things like the gen genetic engineering process, as well as the use of this carcinogenic chemical, this herbicide, glyphosate. Um, I was going to lots of meetings that were really fringe, and at the time, no one really knew what a GMO was. I mean, this was over 10 years ago. And we were starting to begin the uh, initiative to try to get genetically modified food labeled in California. Now, at the time, this seems like a really wild conspiracy theory that, you know, there are these multinational companies that are genetically engineering our foods that they can spray this cancer causing chemical and they can literally patent the world's food supply as we lose biodiversity and become more and more dependent on these very few uh, species of food crops. And as I was trying to spread that message and, you know, reaching a lot of dead ends because it was so overwhelming and complex of an issue, I asked myself if I could write a song about it. And so I did write a song and that, that led me into a whole new world of activism. And one thing that stood out to me was how a upset and angry a lot of people were who were going to these meetings. I was in my early 20s at the time, and another thing that stood out was I was always by far the youngest person there. And so that was interesting to me. You know, why was it that just mostly moms and grandmas were the ones who were willing to learn about this, caring about the health of their children and grandchildren and future generations? And people my age seemed to be uninterested or just unaware at the time. And so I connected with this fellow named Ryan Weirich, who he and I didn't know each other before partnering to make this movie, The Need to Grow. And what happened was he pitched this idea, you know, can we make a film that is about solutions? Because there were marches against Monsanto and everyone was pointing the finger and there was a lot of blame. And we realized that that was not inviting people to the conversation. That was not actually making it accessible or attractive or even sexy to be part of a movement to regenerate our world because everything was focused on how screwed up it was. And so we said, you know, can we do a movie like this? And I think it came at the right time, which was that there had been enough environmental films before ours that really set the stage for the problem. And we kind of had enough doom and gloom and people were being burnt out by this. I mean, we're being exhausted by looking at a starving polar bear on an ice floe when we don't know what we can do to actually help it or what we did to really directly put it there. And so it just becomes numb after a while that we hear about these overwhelming environmental issues. So could we tell a story that's focused on solutions and does it even work? Is it compelling enough? Because there is something psychologically about fear that keeps people in the seats and keeps people watching. And so we do have to set up the problem. We do have to set up the stakes. We do have to make sure that people realize that it is urgent, but we have to go one step beyond that. If we're only talking about the problems now, we're actually doing a disservice. We're making people more and more likely to tune it out 
and to feel more and more paralyzed that there's no action that they can take. And so we have to present solutions and talk about them as much as possible. And so we set out across the country looking for what we hoped would be the, the most high tech, innovative, you know, quote unquote, sexy green technology solutions. And what we ultimately arrived at was this needs to be a story about soil because the soil, which does not seem very interesting, is actually infinitely complex and loaded with microorganisms. And soil is different than dirt. Dirt is dead. Soil is alive. And soil is actually the largest multifaceted solution opportunity that we have on this planet. Because when we put life back in the soil through microorganisms and allowing them the chance to thrive and do their thing as nature intended, what happens is we're actually fixing water at the same time. So soil becomes the storage unit for, uh, for water and, and rainfall, and we can actually keep irrigation water on site. So we're reducing the risk of both flood and drought at the very same time. And soil is really how we're going to get micronutrients into our food system. So we've exhausted our soils for the last few decades, but we can regenerate this. And this has to do with switching away from the very limited forms of fertilizer that were NPK or nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium. So the agricultural industry was kind of hijacked by a combination of the military industrial complex and the oil, the petroleum that was available, and they repurposed those uh, those resources into these very limited scope fertilizers. And it produces a great yield for a short period of time, but at the cost of the overall soil health and at the cost of losing all the mineral density and, and, and uh, phytonutrient density that should be in our foods. And so we can actually regenerate soils and fix not only the water issue, but we can then cure or cure the issue uh, in a way of putting the nutrients back into the food as nature intended. At the same time, we would reduce the pesticides and the toxins. So we would protect the farmers, we would protect the water systems, the rivers, the oceans, where so much of these toxic fertilizers and pesticides and herbicides run off and cause havoc. And then what may be one of the most popular issues right now is what are we going to do about this excess carbon that's in the atmosphere? And so soil is the storage container for carbon. It is the only place that our atmospheric carbon can go. And so we were also just weirded out by the lack of conversation around regenerative agriculture and carbon sequestration at a time when every environmentalist was pretty much screaming reduce emissions, reduce emissions, and that's it. But if we stopped emissions, you know, magically snapped our fingers right now, and there were no more emissions, we would still have this excess. And so we can return a balance by putting that carbon back into the soil. And so we, we actually are checking so many boxes just by looking at soil health. And that's why I think right now we're starting to see regenerative agriculture get a little bit more buzz. And we're proud to, you know, have, have played a small role in getting the the word out about that. And I think with our film, we were really lucky to have found some beautiful stories and we were able to make more of a hero's journey than you might expect in sort of a food film. And uh, we cast a really wide net, followed a lot of stories for several years. Yeah. And for anyone who's seen the film, yeah, there's some pretty interesting twists and turns that you might not expect just from a food film. And that was really key to 
how we wanted to present the story that it has to be accessible and inspire people and allow them to see the humanity in those who are doing the good work already so that hopefully more people will be inspired to take action. Yeah, I think, I mean, I found the movie to be, I think people will find the movie very inspiring and it's interesting because you, you followed three characters through the movie and they were all, I mean, from the, the, and again, people need to see this, but the, the inventor, Michael Smith to the, the young, the young girl in the Girl Scouts, Alicia and Eric Cutter. I mean, these, these really fascinating characters. How did you find these, these people that you really focused on in the movie? Yeah, it was, we were, we were really just kind of chasing anything that our intuition was telling us might be interesting. And the, what you don't see in the film is that we actually followed several stories for over three years. And the hardest decision that we made while making this movie, the hardest part of the entire process was that we ended up having to cut certain beautiful stories that we had spent a lot of time with. And what what happened was, you know, we initially just were traveling to every major city across the U.S. and a bit in Canada. And we were just doing, you know, simple searches to find out what were the high tech things that were in urban agriculture. Because when we first started the project, we thought it was going to be much more of a film of um, aquaponics, hydroponics, indoor LED type growing, vertical farming and rooftop type situations how do we grow specifically in cities, in urban centers where the people are? And as we traveled around the country, we, you know, over filmed, you know, we were learning a lot as documentary filmmakers through this process. But the stories that ended up in the movie really happened as we see in the film. And there, there was just a uncanny sort of synchronicity that that happened for us, which was that we connected with Alicia and we had known of her work as a six-year-old activist in Orange County, California. And she was doing similar work that I was doing in the GMO movement, which is how we were on each other's radar. So we began following her and it was really as it happens in the movie. Her mother took her on a bunch of farm tours with her Girl Scout troop. And one of those was Eric Cutters. And what Eric was doing was so unique And as a soil expert, he was really creating some of the most nutrient-dense food anywhere. And we've tasted food all around the country, and his food still to this day blows us away unlike anything we've ever tasted. And it's because of the system that, that he's able to concentrate the life in the soil right around the root zone of the plants. And he was getting these crazy um examples of growth, both in roots and in the production of the actual fruiting crops of his plants. And one of the things that he was using came from this interesting pyramid-looking, spaceship-looking device (laughs) in the middle of Montana. And so the scene that we, you know, drive up to what's called the Green Powerhouse in Montana is really as it happened. And uh, that was us seeing it for the very first time and filming it. And it ended up becoming the main story of our film. And in the end, as as you know, viewers will see when they watch without giving anything away, each of those three stories faces a really major setback or hurdle and they are tested. And so we felt that in the end, this was a demonstration of 
overcoming obstacles and how it was a story of human resilience in the face of these challenges, which we thought was a beautiful metaphor for where we are at as a species, where we can be knocked down and seemingly, you know, this deck is stacked against us or these almost uh, seemingly insurmountable odds, but we can persevere. We can push through as long as we are committed, passionate, and just keep going. And so that ended up being this amazing theme throughout the three of those stories. And over time, we actually liked the idea that they were so different. You know, they almost served like a Goldilocks, not that there's one right in the middle, but we have Alicia who's doing, you know, this community level school gardens, seed library and uh, petition activism and really has no financial resources in terms of how is she getting this done? She's just tenacious and and goes for it and you know sets a goal and does it. And she really takes out the excuses for anybody because as an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, she's accomplishing things that are really changing her community. And then we have Eric, who is you know the entrepreneur who is doing this micro farm that can actually go anywhere on, on a parking lot, on a rooftop, any unused lot. And then we have this really high-tech solution that is Michael Smith's Green Powerhouse, which is, you know, utilizing decades of his experience in the entertainment and artificial intelligence space, software design, but actually marrying it with natural systems in a way that never existed before on this on this planet. And so they represented three very different things, but at the same time, they're supportive and interconnected. And we also thought that that was a really important piece because there is no one solution. And as we're talking about environmental solutions or human health solutions, we have to acknowledge this concept of bioindividuality, which means that there's going to be a plethora of solutions, just as nature does things. It's always about diversity. So anybody that is trying to centralize or tell you this is the one way is really indicating that they haven't really studied natural systems enough because the solution that's right for you is the one that you will do. And it may not be going and starting a farm. It may not even be growing food, your own food. It may be just taking your food scraps and getting them to someone who composts or composting yourself or just planting that very first seed or just going to your local farmer's market. We really have to start at the solutions that people will do. That's the one that's right. There is no guilt tripping. There is no shaming. It's about creating success because success creates more success. So if you begin to share your, you know, your food scraps with someone who composts, you're probably going to get more interested and maybe one day think, hey, I could do this myself and I could start a compost pile just in my backyard or even in an apartment, literally. Then you'll probably eventually get to a point where you say, what am I going to do with this fresh, you know, living soil that I've just now created from food waste? And you might start to want to use it in your own garden or start gardening yourself. And so we just have to meet people where they're at and encourage them with small steps that eventually lead to bigger ones. Yeah. I mean, I found it so empowering. And I and and two things that really stood out to me is just the notion that um, you know, to empower people to grow their own food and and, and you brought up there was a great example from World War II, which I, I had never heard of, that 20 million home gardens produced 40% of the nation's food. Um, so, I mean, we have this time in our history where we, where we were able to do it. 
Um, and then also just about educating young people. Those, those seem to be some themes that run through it. But um, Rob, would you say in some way, is this movie a call to action for people? Yeah, absolutely. On a number of things. I mean, the, the stat that you pointed out, I think, is so critical for people to you know just meditate on and think about, because when called to service, our country in the United States was able to produce an estimated 40 percent of food right now in backyard gardens and home gardens. We actually grow 0.1 percent of the nation's food. Mm. So we've somehow gone from 40 percent down to one tenth of one percent. And that's sad, but it's also, you know, it's a reminder that we can actually go back because the thing is, the solutions are even more accessible now than they were then. The ability to grow in ways that are almost automated or no brainer. You know, we now have so many resources, apps and teachers and people that are walking uh, you through how to avoid the mistakes that they made, but also growing systems that really take out so much of the work. Uh, things that are fairly inexpensive that we can do in our backyards or literally indoors, even if we don't have an outdoor space or even a balcony. And so we have these solutions that are more accessible than they ever were. And yet we're still growing so much profoundly less than we were. And that's just because, you know, we take things for granted, unfortunately, um, as humans. It's kind of human nature, right? We we become reliant and we outsource a lot of those responsibilities because of convenience. And so we rely more on the supermarket and those kinds of things. And unfortunately, we've just you know reached this point in our history where we're so disconnected from our food that we are seeing chronic disease and chronic illness happen at skyrocketing rates. And these things are directly connected. And anyone who doesn't see that is, is, is really lying to themselves because the same things that are destroying our environment with these centralized farms, which are really the most destructive thing on the planet, um, the, these are the same things that are detaching us from natural systems and are reducing the resources within our own bodies. And so we can put these things back into our own human ecosystem inside of our own bodies. We can rebuild those resources, rebuild the ecology, the Amazon rainforest that exists within our gut microbiome, for instance. We can actually rebuild those mineral deficiencies. And one of the main ways that we can do it is by starting to grow some percent of our own food. And so many people you know, most listeners have, have are aware of organic food and you know, organic really is just about uh, what's not there. And so we have to keep that in mind. Organic means that there's no pesticides, herbicides, fungicides on, on the list of those unnatural chemicals. But those foods that we find, you know, even in the Whole Foods or wherever we're shopping for organic produce, we have to remember that those foods travel the really long distance to get there. It doesn't actually mean that it is nutrient dense just by being organic. It doesn't mean that the farm is taking care of its soil in regenerative ways just by being organic. And so we unfortunately have to take the education one step further from organic and think in terms of regenerative or biodynamic or holistic agriculture that is actually rebuilding the resources where they end the year with more soil than they began. 
And, you know, many organic farms are still depleting their soils. And, you know, when the average bite of food is traveling over 1,500 miles, that could have been shipped five to 10 days. It could have been ripened artificially along the way. But food is designed to be eaten as close to the time that it's picked. And so in nature, you know, we, we would think that we would be eating food as it became ripe right off the tree or right out of the ground. And what happens is once you detach food from its life source energy, from the root or from the plant, you are starting kind of the, the death process of that food's energetic system. And so the vitamins and minerals may be there to some degree, but the antioxidants and the phytochemicals and a lot of the really you know, anti-cancer healing properties that exist within foods are starting to be lost from the moment that they get picked. And so this is one way that I love to inspire people about growing some percentage of their own food, even if it's literally just their own herbs or you know, one fruit tree or lettuces, because you're able to get that food right as it's picked. And therefore, the antioxidant concentration is going to have these compounds in there that will be completely different than what you could even get, you know, from the highest end organic food in the supermarket. And so we need to think that as we're just, you know, putting those nutrients back into our body, we're allowing our body to heal a little bit easier. At the same time, we're reducing the footprint and all the waste and the, the travel and the carbon footprint that it took to get that food from somewhere else. And as you know, you know, People, unfortunately, don't take things too seriously until the problems really are right on their doorstep. So will it take more and more food shortages? I don't know. Um, but eventually, we will be forced to change. And that's the interesting thing about something being unsustainable that I think really needs to click in people's mind is that actually means there is an expiration date. It literally cannot go on that way. And so we have to change, and it will be either gracefully or through chaos. And I would prefer to do it with a little bit more, uh, you know, leeway to do it gracefully with, with a head start, but it's going to happen one way or the other. And so I hope that we can take it seriously before it becomes about a disaster. <laughs> well, Rob, that's a great point. Um, because I, I, I think you're right on the money that this is, it, it is going to happen one way or another. And, um, you know, and, and we did get a glimpse of food shortages, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic. And I'm sure there's more of that to come. But, but you know, it's interesting because your movie, though, is so motivational as far as, like, I was sort of meditating on the, on, the, on the title, The Need to Grow. And it really is, you know, it's not just wanting to grow, but it's really a need to grow. And I know when I, after I watched your movie, I, I right away, I started planting a whole bunch of, you know, raised bed gardens and different, different herbs and different things like that. But it's very motivating. Are, are you growing some things yourself? Yeah. And I'm in an apartment in Los Angeles. So, uh, you know, you, you can make it work and it's not that everyone's going to be able to grow hundred percent of their own food. But what's cool is that, you know, we, you just have to, do a little bit of the unexpected and think outside the box a little bit as to what's possible, including growing on a rooftop, growing on a balcony. And there's some cool systems that are vertical tower gardens that I use that are soil based. I was able to sort of ninja plant in my apartment complex that um, no one really knew that I was doing it. But 
I was planting a bunch of herbs in the common space that are really thriving. I planted some strawberries, even some rosemary, some mint, things like that. And then my tower garden, which is a great company, Garden Tower. And um, and then I also do some stuff indoor. I actually do indoor vermicomposting, which, mm. yes, is with worms in my apartment. <laughs> that actually is a lot less scary than it sounds. And I'm able to take my food waste, turn it into new soil. I use an indoor um, light growing system called Click and Grow. There's a lot of great products out there. And then I grow a little bit on my balcony and some planters. And yeah, I mean, anybody can get started wherever they're at, um, at whatever scale. And I'm very much looking forward to the time when I have more of a backyard and can do much more with that space. But, you know, even in the interim, uh, I'm able to do a lot with a little. And so we just want to give people options, you know, and let them see, hey, I can do that. And it doesn't have to be everything at once. In fact, that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to start small and you want to to grow, you know, incrementally. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, the concept of the film or the title of the film, because yeah, it has a few meanings. And, you know, the need to grow our food, which is that we absolutely do not exist as a species uh, at this level with this many people on the planet if we are not growing food in ways that can you know, sustain life. And so that is a need. And at the same time, there is this need to grow on a spiritual level. There is a need to grow on an emotional level, which is, you know, we're at this time in history where everything is so divisive and everything is about pointing the finger at another side. It's very tribal. And the psychology that is behind that is unfortunately preventing us from moving forward with the solutions that already exist. Three final questions that I asked everybody on the show here. Um, Rob, what are some of your daily practices that, and, or rituals that you do to help keep you grounded and more peaceful? Yeah, absolutely. Well, a big part of it is connecting to nature. And the more that I've learned about the physiology of the human body and this absurdity that nature is something outside of us, but really we are nature. And as I get outside and I do a lot of exercise outside, trail running or hiking. And in the beginning, I used to think this is a little bit selfish. Is it self-care? Am I escaping my work? But turned out, you know, that this is, this is fundamental to my physiological and mental health. And I actually become more productive when I carve out that time and prioritize it because we cannot be running ourselves on empty. So outdoor time grounding is literally science of, of, of healing through connection, electrical connection to the earth, breathing in as many diverse uh, ecosystems as possible. There's actually fight insides and the study of Shinrin Yoku, which is the Japanese for forest bathing. This is very proven. We can actually heal and and regenerate and activate our immune systems by being in nature. There's nothing crazy about it. We have the scientific evidence. So we're, you know, just a few hours in nature, even if you're not exercising intensely, um, as is proven through these studies of forest bathing, we enhance our immune system that has lasting effects. So there was one study where people spent two long walks in the forest and 
for a month after, without even going back into nature, they still had enhanced immune system through their what are called natural killer cells. And so connecting um, you know, with the natural world is so critical. And I've been learning much more about the benefits of sunlight, which are part of our new film called Pharmacy of Light, Pharmacy with an F, and how photonics or biophotonics, photons of light, actually work in the human body. So for me, prioritizing healthy exposure to sunlight, connecting with nature, um, getting my hands in the soil. I do a lot of meditation. I do try to focus on, you know, as cheesy as it is, the, the science of, of gratitude and um, focusing on the positive is very proven on the neuroscience level. And so it was through like studying brain science and, and neuroscience that really helped validate a lot of that for me because you can actually reprogram a lot of those negative beliefs. And so um, that's really critical for myself and community is big. And this past year really shined a light on that, that we are social creatures and we must be in contact with other people and we must experience love, connection, friendship, and community. And it is only through that that we will see the evolution of our society to what I think a lot of people now know um, we want. We want that. We need that. We cannot exist as isolated, um, stressed out, and depressed uh, people. So yeah, those are those are a few of my things yeah. that I try to keep going all the time. <laughs> That's great. Um, Rob, if you had the opportunity to travel back in time, say 30 years or so, what words of wisdom would your current self share with your younger self? Oh, boy. Well, I'm only 36. <laughs> so my six-year-old self, let's see. What would, I'm not sure if they could fathom what was coming. But um, I think I think here's here's one that comes to mind. One of what I think may be the secrets is that most people believe that when you get what you want, whether it's physical things or job, promotion, title, status, etc., they believe that when they get what they want, they will feel the way they want to and they will feel happy. In reality, it's the exact opposite. And that's what I would tell my younger self, whether as a six-year-old or a teenager, probably more specifically and, and right at the beginning of college, which is that when you feel the way you want to feel, you will get the things that you want. And it's counterintuitive and it's the exact opposite, like I said, of, of most people's belief system. But the reality is that you can use certain techniques to kind of hack the neuroscience to create feelings of abundance and happiness and feel good right now. And we're at this time in, in you know, the, the ecosystem that we are seeing collapse of certain systems, but we have to also be grateful for what is here because either way, you know, whether or not we are reaching some climate change collapse that could happen, um, then in that case, we should enjoy the heck out of the, the last of it, right? <laughs> and, and if we're not reaching the end of that, and the nature is much more resilient than we're giving her credit for, then it will be through the gratitude and through 
engaging with positive uh, examples of nature and by appreciating it, valuing it, protecting it, it will be more likely to create the conditions for those systems to thrive in the future. Mm. And so feeling good as much as possible. It's not that we're naive and, and you know, suppressing um, negative emotions when they come up. We can process them uh, appropriately, maturely, but um, feeling good with what we have is actually the way to get more of what we want, I believe. That's great. I wish, I wish every teenager, every human being could just hear your answer right there because that is so profound. And so powerful. And I and I do believe that would change the world. You're so right, Rob. We have it all backwards. <laughs> Thanks, man. That yeah, was, but it's, sometimes it takes going through that ourselves, right? To actually no to, to really believe that. And, and that's one cool way to flip the script, you know, is when you're feeling bad, use it as, hey, that's feedback. That's actually a good thing. And now that may seem like, oh, my God, that's insane. When I'm feeling bad, that's good. But really, it's, hey, this is a warning signal. This is your body telling you, whether it's your physical or mental state, that this is these are not the conditions that you thrive in. And so what is it? And it may be a little bit of guess and check and investigation and reassessing what's going on in your life that is you know, leading to those negative feelings. But that's feedback. Mm-hmm. And we can flip the script that way and say, interesting this is you know these are the conditions that make me feel like crap that's not good so what are the (laughs) conditions that would avoid that right and um you know life isn't going to be perfect but i think every time that that stuff happens we can use it as you know that cliche of one door closes another door opens to say well this is helping me see maybe i want something different than my current scenario Rob, where can people go to learn more about you, your work? And I know you have a new event coming up. Maybe just tell us tell us what's going on with the movie. Yeah, thanks, man. So our production company was called Earth Conscious Films and has since evolved into our larger platform called earthconsciouslife.org. And so our, our company, you know, produced the film, The Need to Grow. We have our new film I mentioned briefly called Pharmacy of Light that will be coming out soon. We're also working on a film about the gut brain axis and mental health solutions. And so all of that can be found um, at earthconsciouslife.org or following us on Instagram or Facebook at The Need to Grow. And uh, we're actually going to be giving away our film, The Need to Grow, totally for free in a global free screening event uh, from June 22nd, 2021 to June 28th. Every year since our film launched, we've done a one week global free screening event and it has gone, you know, really overwhelmingly well. And we've been you know, really just grateful at the opportunity to reach so many people. Our very first one, we reached 175 countries in our first week. And we're hoping that this this will be the only time we do it in 2021. So we're really hoping that people will hop on board, watch the film. You can go to theneedtogrow.com to, to watch it totally for free and to share that with people. And so if you have your own audience or family, friends that you want to share an inspiring message of of the solutions that already exist that we can do to regenerate our planet and our human health, I hope you'll watch the film and share it with friends. It's narrated, executive produced by Rosario Dawson. 
uh, features some really beautiful music and animation and, and some really powerful stories that, that I know will, will touch you deep in your soul. So I hope you guys will check it out, needtogrow.com. Yeah, totally. Highly recommend it. I think you guys are going to love it. Go check it out. Uh, Rob, thank you so much for being here today. It's been such a pleasure, Drew. Thanks so much for the work that you're doing and, and helping you know, these kinds of ideas get communicated to more people. Really appreciate that. Thank you for listening to The Drew Perlman Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the words of Mark Twain, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the things you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, and catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover, and stay well, everyone.